Wow. Okay. I love that sound. Love that sound. One of the things we want to be is a friendly place here at Seacoast and really, really appreciate hearing that. Open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Take out a Bible. If you don't have one, there's some in the backs of some of the seats. If not, I encourage you to kind of get in the habit of bringing one. If you don't have one, we'll give you one for free. We love to study the word here. Hebrews chapter 11. We're in a series called Everybody's Hope, Stories of God Revealed. All summer long, we've been talking about everybody hurts, acknowledging the reality of pain in our life. But we kind of made a shift last week as we turned to the book of Job last week, and we're going to spend the rest of the summer exploring, okay, if everybody hurts, how do we get beyond the hurt to the hope? And to get there, we're exploring some great stories from the Old Testament. Today, Hebrews chapter 11, because it's going to be the Hebrews 11 version of an Old Testament story. So pray with me. Father God, thank you so much. Thanks for your word. Thanks for what you teach us. Um, We do pray, Father, that you would indeed teach us uh, the reality of who you are. Help us to understand uh, the person of God. Because, God, you are often kind of a mystery to us. We can't see you. But thank you that you revealed yourself. So teach us. about the revelation of the real God. Not a figment of our imagination, but the God who created us and who is alive, who we gather to worship. So we ask you to do that in Christ's name. Amen. Some of you may notice I kind of added something to the worship team up here. The band didn't avail themselves of it, but, you know, I kind of have a Keurig coffee maker. And how many knows what a Keurig is? How many of you have a Keurig or have used one? A lot of you? Okay. So you got some Keurig fans in the room. But here's a tougher question. How many of you have ever used one of these? Yeah. How many of you under the age of 25 have ever used one of these? <laughs> Only one. Okay. Yeah. Two. Gotcha. Well, both of these are kind of special to me. I use this one today, and I really like this. And, in fact, I'm going to press this little button and, and uh, see if I can see how long it takes for this thing to deliver me a cup of coffee because I really, really like my Keurig. See, Keurigs are really great because they allow me to uh, kind of customize what I want. I don't have to drink the coffee my wife wants or you want or anybody else in the family wants. I get to be totally selfish. I get to pick my favorite pod, my favorite kind of coffee, calf, decaf, French roast, Colombian, whatever. Pop it in and just in a matter of just a few seconds, in fact, it's already starting to brew This thing is going to deliver to me, here it comes, it's going to deliver to me a cup of coffee that I'm going to give away to the person that listens the best today. (laughs) I'm not going to do that. It's all about me, okay? But I pulled this out of my garage because um, when I go camping once a year, I try to go to West Virginia and I still camp with my brothers, go trout fishing back in the country I grew up in. And it's in the back country and uh, I love my coffee in the morning. And when we wake up in the morning... And we're camped as a group of about 20 people, so we use this, but in a bigger version. So we have the big version of this. We have the granddaddy. Now, you know what this is called? What's this called? Talk to me. It's a percolator. Percolator. Whole different approach to brewing coffee. In fact, my coffee's already done. Okay? Maybe I'll give it to my wife. You want this, sweetheart? No, not right now. I'm not drinking out of your old coffee cup from... It's decaf. Why did you make me decaf? How did you say... Anyway, we'll talk about this later. Okay, but... Sometimes, okay, she's not wasting good coffee on a sermon about God. 
that she saves the good stuff for herself. Forgive her, Lord. Okay. But, you know, that's what I live with. But anyway, here we go. But, yeah, so anyway, so here's my cup of Keurig. Already done. But, but you know, when I go camping, I, to get coffee, it's a whole different deal. Because you've got to get out of bed in the morning. You've got to get out of the tent. And the, and the rule is the first person out of the tent goes straight for the campfire. You've got to get the campfire regenerated. You've got to get the campfire going. Or, or if we have one of those little Coleman deals, you've got to at least fire it up, right? And then we've got to put the granddaddy, fill him with coffee. You've got to put the coffee grounds. The coffee grounds go in a thing like this. Some of you that have never seen one of these, it's really cool. A little basket for the coffee grounds. And, and you've got to get the water going. And, and it's only when the water gets really hot. That the water begins to kind of percolate. It comes up somehow. It's a miracle. I've never figured it out. Someone physically can explain this, but it kind of comes up through a little tube and, you know, it begins to go down through the coffee grounds. And it is probably about a 45 minute process, at least before I get my coffee. So you do not want to mess with me for the first 45 minutes out of bed. <laughs> but there's nothing tastes better when it's done. But it's slow. It is really, really slow. When you're used to this. And the reason I wanted to share that today was because I think as a culture, we are a fast delivery culture. I mean, we want everything quick and we demand it and we want it good. We want it quick. We want it now. I still I'm just old enough to remember the very first fast food burger place that came to my town when I grew up. And I know you probably had in and out long before this, but back in West Virginia, it took a few years for the technology to drift from the two coasts into the backwoods of West Virginia, okay? We had shoes, but not coffee. But the reality is this. We had good coffee in the pot. But, but the reality is this. I remember the very first time, because I was used to get a burger. You had to go to the restaurant. You went in. You had to sit down. You had to wait till the, to the, to the man or woman, usually a gal, came over, took your order. She went back to the kitchen. She told the cook what he wanted. He went to the fridge, got out the, got out the burger, you know, probably had to kill the cow. I don't know. It took forever, you know, but he had to, he had to make the burger, fry the burger up, get it all ready, get the ingredients, put it together, put it on a plate, deliver it to my table. And then all of a sudden this thing, this place, I remember it was called BBF, had a big whirling satellite, sound of the whirling satellite. And it was the first fast food burger joint. And and, and you could pull up, no drive-thrus yet, but you go into the place, you walk up to the counter, and you could say, I want a double cheeseburger, and they would say, yes, sir, and they'd turn around, and they would just bring it. Boom. Deliver it. Want that with fries. Whoa. Okay, deliver it with fries. Now, that was pretty fast, but even that got to be old school, right? Because that's too slow. Because you've got to park your car. You've got to get out of your car. You've got to go into the place. So now we have what? We have what? Drive-through windows. And after a while, the drive-through window was too slow. You know why? Because every person had to pull up to the drive-through window. They had to make their order. They had to give them the order, wait on the order, pay for the order before the next person got to go. So they came up with the little squawk box thing, which you can never understand what they say. But I just say, just order anyway. So you order anyway, and, you know, and now they at least get your order ready. But then that got to be too slow because you pulled up to the window and you still had to take the time to pay for your order and get your order. So now we have what? We have most drive throughs have how many windows? Two windows. Why is that? It's because the first window is taking care of the money. They want your money before they even give you the burger. What's up with that? But the reality is, you know, they ought to reverse that. Give me the burger and then get my money. But anyway, somehow that's how it works. So that, you know, it, it's a double window. And I don't want to go to a fast food just a single window because it's too slow. Because I want what I want now. Because faster is better. 
And I agree, faster is better. Faster is better on my Internet. Okay? Faster is better. I want high speed. You know, you're going to download something. You don't want to wait on it. Good grief. You, to wait 30 seconds to download a three-hour movie? What's up with that? Right? You know what I mean? It's too slow. So the reality is everything has gotten faster, 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 and so are our expectations. Faster is better. And that's okay. And then I bump into God. And here's what I notice about God. God is not getting faster. I think we have a slow God. I've checked around for a faster one, can't find it. And what I want you to think about as we teach today and study the Word is this. What do you do when God moves slow? What do you do when God is more like this, where He wants to leave you on the heat, percolating for a long time before He delivers this? Because a lot of times in life, I think that's what's going on. We're wanting God to kind of be the Keurig, new, modern, up-to-date, faster-is-better God. God says, you know something? Fast coffee, fast burger, fast Internet, that's great. Fast God, I'm not going to speed up. And it's because God really cares more about you then he does a cup of coffee. That's the reality. We're going to look today at the story of Abraham and Sarah. It's a long story. It's a complex story. It's one of the longer sections of the Bible. But we're going to look at the man named Abraham and his wife Sarah because Abraham is actually called in the Bible the father of faith. He is a guy that had to deal and experience the pain of God not moving quick. And I think as we teach on it today, I want you to study Abraham, but I want you to think about your own life. And I want you to imagine right now with me, what is it in my life that I wish God would move quicker to fix or change or do? What is it in my life where I feel like God has promised me that he's going to take care of me? Man, he's slow. So let's pray again. Father, teach us about the slow God. Teach us about the pain of not yet. And most of all, teach us about Abraham's faith and the kind of faith it takes to deal with the pain of not yet. In Jesus' name, amen. Listen to the word. Listen to Hebrews chapter 11 because in this passage... He's going to summarize about four different major events in Abraham's life, all in a few short verses. So let me give give you the big picture, and then we're going to step back and talk about them until we run out of time. Okay, are you ready? Here we go. First, it begins, verse 1, just to set the context. He's talking about faith. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not yet seen. And for by it, men of old gained approval or pleased God. So stop right there to realize, faith always deals with what you do not possess or what you are yet to possess. Faith is always dealing with the future. Faith is always dealing with what you 
are promised but have not fully experienced yet. Because if you already have it, you've already experienced it fully, then the reality is it's not faith, it's sight. And he says, we're talking now about times we gotta, we gotta come to God by faith, because faith is the assurance of things we're hoping for, things that are hoped for, the conviction, the belief, not just, oh, I kinda hope it happens, but the conviction that God is gonna deliver, and that God is going to act. The conviction of things not seen. For by it, we understand, uh, that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, by it, by it, by it. And he talks about faith, faith, faith. Now, in verse 6, he tells us why this sermon's important for us. He says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God. For he who comes to God must believe. It's a synonym for faith, trust. Must believe that he, that is God, is, and that God is the rewarder of those who seek him. And that's the big theme of this chapter is that the reality is in life to encounter a God that does not always move fast. It's going to call on an Abrahamic type of a faith. When I look at Abraham's faith in these verses, I see four major themes, and they're broken out naturally by the passage. I don't make this stuff up. It's in the Bible. Notice the times he says, by faith, and underline it every time. Ready? Verse 8. Get your pens out. Make some notes. Learn some things. Here we go. By faith, Abraham. You should get that. Mark it in your cell phone, your smartphone, whatever. Don't check your Internet right now. Okay. That email's not there. I'm just kidding. I love some of you bringing your technology into play here. Here we go. By faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed by going out to a place where he was to receive for an inheritance... For he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, there it is again. You should underline it or mark it in your smart smart tablet. Here we go. By faith, he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac, that's his son, and Jacob, his grandson, fellow heirs of the same promise. They they all did that. They, They lived in the land of promise, but they lived there as if they were aliens, as if they were foreigners, not possessors. Notice that. So they lived in tents. They didn't build big cities yet because they lived in tents. By faith, verse 11, underline it, third time. By faith, even Sarah herself, his wife, received the ability to conceive a child even beyond the proper time of life. What's that saying? If a woman is beyond the proper time of life, what's that mean? Old lady. Okay. But I love the sensitivity of the scriptures here to to women. Notice this. Now, guys, we're going to get hammered. Okay, if a woman is older, she is beyond the proper time of life. Now, therefore, there was born, even, verse 12, of one man, that is Abraham, and him good as dead. (laughs) So if you're an old guy, you're just good as dead. If you're a woman, you're just beyond the proper time of life. But anyway, I just think God loves women more than men or something. I don't know. I think it toughens us up, guys, so get over it. It's the same thing, by the way. Men are made from what in Scripture? Answer? Dirt. Dirt. Women are made from what? Actually, they're not even made. They're fashioned from the rib of a man. So women are fashioned. Men are made of dirt. Anyway, just, anyway, I got it. I'm still, I'm still struggling with that with God a little bit. But by faith, they have a child. Therefore, there was born even to one and him as good as dead. As many descendants as the stars of the heavens in number and as innumerable as the, as the sand which is by the seashore. In other words, too many to count. And all of these died in faith without receiving their promises. Verse 13. I'll jump down to verse 17. 
And by faith, there it is again, and they're it again. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up his son Isaac. He who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son, even though it was he, that is Isaac, in whom it was said, quote, in Isaac your descendants shall be called. But he considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. Amen. Verse 19. Four observations about Abraham's faith and what it means to have a faith when God says not yet. Number one, it begins with anticipation. Faith is rooted in a dream. Faith is rooted in something that you feel and that God has promised you. And in this case, it was the promise that Abraham would be the father of a great nation. God would provide a promised land for the nation. God would bless the world through Abraham and his descendants. It's found in Hebrews 11.8 when it says, By faith Abraham, when he was called of God, obeyed God by getting up, going to the place where he was yet to receive an inheritance, to receive a promised land, and he went out not knowing where he was going. In other words, he didn't even know the details of the final destination. He just knew he had a promise from God. And what we see in this is this simple principle. I'm going to give you four principles, four stories. Here we go. Number one is this. Faith calls you to go where you've never gone before. Get ready. Faith will call you to go where you've never gone before. Because faith is about... Um, Faith is about the conviction of that which is unseen, unexperienced yet. In other words, God, God wants to do more in your life through Christ. And the reality is it's always going to involve headed somewhere that you've never gone before. For Abraham, it was a very physical step of obedience to God. In fact, I'll show you a map that kind of shows. He basically starts in the area that we would see as the, the southern uh, area of, uh, of Ur of the Chaldees. I'll just tell you the story. He, he dwelt there with his father, Terah. And, and it was a wonderful place. It was one of the, in the, in, at this time period, it would have been one of the better places to live, okay? But, you know, you got the water of the, the, the Tigris and Euphrates Valley coming down through there. I mean, kind of picture, picture, uh, uh, southern Iraq. That's kind of the area. And it was a, it was a, it was a, a lush area, green area, prosperous area, developed area, and they were city folk, you might say, okay? So you gotta picture that. The, the, the reality is they had herds and all that stuff, but, but the, they were living kind of the good life there, and God says, I want you and your family to, to, to go. I want to give you a promised land. And, and first with his father, he goes up to Haran, and his dad settles in Haran, which is on the map to the north. And then they settle down there and they stay there and God blesses them and, and, and their family expands and their wealth expands and their herds expand and their dad dies. And he's buried there. And it was that that point in time that we encounter the story in Genesis chapter 12. So keep your finger in Hebrews and just turn to Genesis 12. And here's the promise. It's fairly short. And the Lord said to Abram, this is after his father Terah had died. The Lord said to Abram, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and the one who curses you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Wow. Verse 4. So Abram... By the way, at this point, age 75, 
So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. He took his wife and Lot, his nephew. Lot was his nephew. Lot's dad had died. Uh, Lot was his nephew. And, and, uh, and, 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 and at this point, they leave in obedience to God. And God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. And the trick is, Abram says, but God, I don't even have a son. I don't have a child yet. My wife can't have children or I can't have children. We're infertile. Uh, so, you know, what's up with this? And God says, trust me. You will have a child and you, and you will be the father of a great nation and I'm going to give you a great land and let's go get it. So they get up and they leave and they journey down in the direction God leads them down to this area that we would call modern day Israel. Okay. So they, they head down into the promised land. Now when they get to the promised land though, you know, uh, they, they begin to, to realize that they're not alone. The promised land is a lush, wonderful place to live, and therefore, guess what? Other people have been there for centuries. So there's other people already living in their promised land. So, so they come in, but, but, but uh, before they get there, let me just point out just the act of leaving and going. Leaving and going involved at least three things that sometimes are painful. And here they are in a nutshell. Number one, he had to let go of his old life. He had to leave behind the old. I'll put all three up and then talk about them. He had to trust God for the new that God was promising. And then he he needed to allow God to use him in whatever way God wanted to use him. Now, that's not always easy. He had to let go of the old. What did he let go of? Well, in Genesis 12, he says, leave your country, leave your relatives, and leave your father's house. Okay, now, in other words, those are three things he was comfortable with, grew up with, knew. And he says, I want you to leave that old because, and then the new is three things. He says, what are they? I will show you a new land. I will make you a great people, and then I will bless you. I will, I will, I will, not I have, I will. In other words, it's promised, but not yet possessed. And a lot of times, I think what we're dealing with in our lives is God promises us his love, promises us his care, promises us we will grow through the pain, promises us that he will cause all things to work together for good for those who hurt for those who are called according to his purpose when they hurt, right? These are promises of God that say, I will, I will, I will. But God says, you know, to to go after what I want to give you, you got to leave your old stuff behind. Now, he didn't ask Abraham to leave all of his wealth behind and become a pauper because he loads up his entourage. This is not a family on a station wagon or or a minivan here. This, you know, not even with a big trailer. This is not even the 24-foot U-Haul. This is not even the Beacon's big truck. What this is is an entourage of servants and people and extended family and and Abraham and Sarah and Lot and and, and and at this point their herds are growing and they and they and they move down to the promised land. So what we learn is simply this. Let me just pause for a minute. Here's the first story. The first application of this is that it is safer to be lost on an adventure with God than to be sitting home without Him. But let's be honest. Sometimes it can hurt. It would have been safer. I mean, it would have been easy and comfortable for a lot. I mean, for Abram to say, you know, God, I kind of like I liked Ur, but then you moved me to Haran, and I really like Haran, and 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 you seem to be blessing us here. So, you know, why don't we just do it here? 
And God says, because this is not where I want you to be. And it says, by faith, he got up and left and followed God in obedience, even though he did not know where he was going. Hebrews 11, verse 8 and 9. And sometimes what it means for us is God says, look, trust me, obey me and do my will. Follow my word. And we say, yeah, but where's that going to take me? Where's that going to end up? He says, I'm not going to tell you where you're going to end up yet. I'm not going to show you the end of the story. I just want you to trust me. And that's the theme of Abraham's life. God is saying, Abraham, just trust me, man. And I'm go- here's the end of the story. I will give you a, a land, I will make you a great nation, and I will bless all the earth through you. And by the way, we are blessed by Abraham's obedience because he went and followed. Because you know the, you know where this story ends up, don't you? Abraham begins, becomes the father of the Jewish nation. Abraham, the Jewish nation becomes the father of Jesus, you know, and, and Jesus comes and is delivered as the Messiah and the, and the Redeemer and the Savior of the whole crazy world through that through the nation of Israel that that God raised up so that they might provide a Messiah, not just for Israel, but for the whole world. So we are the recipients of what God is doing in this story through Christ. But back to what we learn from it. It is safer to be lost on an adventure with God than to be sitting home without Him. See, sometimes God says, trust me, obey me, and I'm not going to show you the end of the story yet. And God, and we say, until I know the end of the story, I'm not going there. You need to, you need to first, you need to first act, God, and be a curing God. Uh, you brew the coffee, I'll decide whether I'm going to sip it. God says, now I want you to perk for a while first. See? So God is sometimes slower than we want him to be. And he was with Abraham's case. But Abraham trusted him, followed him, and gets blessed big time in the end. Number two. Probably the heart of the sermon today is number two. And that is that faith anticipates the promise of God, but then faith has to wait sometimes. It's the pain of not yet. And we see it touched on in Hebrews 11 when he says this. And a lot of times people read these verses and you don't see the pain. It says, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise. You see the contradiction there? This is mere, this is my land. This is the land God has promised to me, but yet I'm having to live out of a tent and and keep moving around with my herds because other people possess the land, but I'm promised the land. And and, And if I want to fast forward, by the way, Abraham goes to his grave without possessing the land. But he has the promise. His son, Isaac, goes to his grave without possessing the land. But he has the promise. Jacob goes to his grave without possessing the land, but he has the promise. It's not until you fast forward to Joshua. Remember that? Moses goes away, you know, the Exodus, down to Egypt, out of Egypt. Remember this stuff? Okay. Remember Ten Commandments? Okay. Uh, the, The reality is it's not until Joshua that God actually finally says, I am now giving you your land that I promised to Abraham. So you had generations who came and went without experiencing the fulfillment of the promise. But yet they trusted God. Why is that? Here it is. By faith, Abraham lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land. 
See, as if he was in a foreign land, even though it was his. As in a foreign land, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob to follow him, fellow heirs of the same promise. For he was looking for a city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. Now, that's a strange verse. Let me try to explain to you what I think he's talking about. So it says, somehow Abraham was able to wait and be patient and wait on God because he, he believed that the promise would be fulfilled. He believed God is faithful. And he also believed, I think, because this little confusing phrase, okay, he, 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 he was, he was willing to live in the land even though he had to live as an alien, not, you know, as if he didn't really own it yet. Because he was looking for a city whose architect and builder was God. He's looking for, I think what he's saying is this, Abraham knew that God is building more than a physical land for me. God is building more than physical cities. God is building a kingdom that is spiritual. God is building something that he's the architect, designer, builder, and I'm part of what he's doing, Abraham is thinking. I'm part of the whole plan for something much bigger than dirt, much bigger than real estate, much bigger than than a physical nation on the earth. He's building a spiritual kingdom that's going to bless the whole earth. And I think Abraham somehow, without understanding the details, because I do not think there's any evidence Abraham understood the details of the story of Jesus, okay? But Abraham did sense, okay, I am, a, I am being used by God to do something bigger than just giving me the land. Because, you know, God could have given him the land, boom, right now. Why didn't Abraham come into the land build an altar to God, which he did, worship God, and then, and, and, then, and then God does a miracle, and all of a sudden all the people living there go, whoo, we're scared to death, we've heard about you, Abraham, and, and we're moving out. And they all move out. He gets the land into the story. It would shorten our Bible a lot. But God doesn't do that. Because God is doing something more in Abraham's life, and he's doing something more in your life when he moves slow than you sometimes understand. So what's the lesson? I mean, from this part of the story, it's kind of cool. We could do a whole sermon on each part of this, but it's this. Faith waits, and it travels light in this life, always remembering there is this is not our final home, that heaven is our final home, not this earth. So all the blessings, every blessing of life on planet earth is nothing compared to the eternal blessings in Christ that we will experience forever and ever. And if we remember that, then we can wait on God without getting ticked off. If I lose sight of that, then as soon as some of my earthly blessings aren't, maybe it's health, maybe it's family, maybe it's wealth, maybe it's jobs, I don't know what it is. Whatever is causing me to get angry with God, I can say, you're doing something bigger than I can understand. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna find my joy. In something eternal. The reason I get choked up right now is because, uh, every life has painful things. So right now I'm kind of processing some of my own pain. 
And you may be doing that. Because I ask you to think of something that you wish would get fixed. Well, the mistake is when I get ready to teach, I do that. Uh, so you just do what I'm doing, okay? And pray for me. Because, you know, the reality is this is a great story because Abraham says, you know, God, I will trust you with life on this planet because you've made great promises to me that will be mine for eternity. And that's where I'll put my focus. And I'll keep praying for the land, but until the land comes, I'll be patient and I can live here as if I'm an alien or a foreigner that's just passing through. Because the more you understand the gospel in Jesus, that's who we are. We are foreigners passing through this life and our real eternal home is heaven and the new earth and the the new heaven and the new earth. See, that's so cool. So what's that mean? As you're waiting, if you study Genesis 13, and I don't have time to teach you the story, here's what you'll find. While Abraham's waiting, here's what he does. Um, He... He gets in a, uh, his, his flocks are growing. Uh, Lot, remember his nephew? Lot's flocks are growing. They get to be so big that they, they, they don't fit together in one area. So they start doing this. Their servants start fighting. So Abraham says, Lot, we gotta, we gotta, we gotta separate. We're gonna be family and friends, but we gotta separate and give some room here, man. So who's gonna go which direction? So Abraham, who's the head of the family, could just say, hey, Lot, you go over there, I'm taking the good ground. But Abraham does this. It's Genesis 13. Just You're going to read it if you do the five appointments with, with me this week. Here's the story, though. He says, Lot, um, you decide what land you want, and it's yours. You go live in whatever direction you want, and I'll go the other direction. Wow. So he, but he graciously gives away the best land, and Lot is smart enough to take it. He talks to, Lot sees the Jordan River Valley. And it says he sees that area and he says, wow, that's good for herds, plenty of grass. By the way, that's also where Sodom and Gomorrah are. You hear those two places? You know, sinners know where good land is, okay? Um, The reality is, uh, you know, the wealth and the prosperity is in that direction. So Lot chooses that direction and Abraham says, okay, I'll go the other direction. And then God shows up and this is what God does. God says, hey, Abraham, guess what? Uh, you just gave away your best land. I'm proud of you for doing that. But here's a lesson for you. Abraham, look to the north, look to the south, look to the east, look to the west. And so Abraham's doing this, and God is speaking to him. And he says, um, everything that you see and more is going to be yours. So the, the land you just gave away, is gonna, it's, gonna be, it's coming back to you. Because it's all your land. It's part of the promised land that I'm promising to you and to your descendants. So, you know, it's cool. So what do you learn from this? Here's my quick hit list. Number one, don't stress over stuff. When you're having to wait on God, don't stress over stuff. Stuff doesn't matter. Focus on relationships. Work on relationships. They're more important than stuff. Abraham gave away the good ground in order to have a good relationship with his nephew Lot. Okay, the relationship mattered more than possessions and stuff. So don't wreck your marriage, your family, your friends, fussing over stuff. Focus on relationships. The third thing he does is then God surprises him and says, guess what? I'm going to give you more than you just gave away. 
See, God loves to do these little surprises. He, he's a funny God. You know, he's not fast, but he's funny. You know, and, and God always says, then give me the glory. And Abraham does that. He worships God. Verse 18, chapter 13. So you're going to read this story. Just make note of the references. I think I put them in your outline. Read them this week. But what you'll see is that's how God wants us to behave while we are waiting, while we're waiting for him to deliver his promises. Part three, I'm going to pretty much skip, Apple. So we're going to really downplay part three, but I want to give them the highlights, and it's this. Part three, well, no, no, we'll we'll dwell on part three a little more, then I'll, I'll go light on part four. Faith then has to take a risk. There's a moment where faith gets tested where we've got to decide, do I believe God or not? And and Abraham and Sarah hit it, and it's recorded in chapter 11, verse 11. He says this, By faith, even Sarah herself received the ability to conceive, even beyond the proper time of life, since she considered him faithful who had promised. She decided, I will believe that God can do a miracle. Therefore, there was born even of one man, Abraham, and him as good as dead at that, as many descendants as the stars of of the heavens in number. Again, more than you can count is the idea. See, faith anticipates the promise, but then it has to wait. And the waiting can be painful. That's the idea. And then the Moment of truth comes where God is ready to act and you gotta have, you gotta have enough faith to go with Him. And God acts and He does a miracle. And He, and, and, and Abraham and Sarah are, are, are able to conceive and they bear a son named Isaac. And there, and the big point of part three is this. Faith is confident that God is faithful and will deliver against all odds. See? God says, even if the odds don't make sense, I am a God who can do what doesn't even make sense. I am a God who can do greater than anything you imagine or think. So trust me. There's nothing too tough for God. Now, this week I want you to read the stories behind the scenes because here's what you read. Abraham and Sarah believed God and trusted him and God did his miracle. But the risking faith that they display, here's here's some observations. It had its ups and downs It had its moments of doubt and laughter, but yet then they chose to believe God's promise. That's my highlight of this section. What do I mean by this? Well, it had its ups and downs. I gave you the verses. Read them this week. Chapter 15, Abraham is again back with God saying, Hey, God, I'm getting older and I'm not having any kids. Uh, What's up? Uh, And he says, "How, How in the world can this happen? And he begins to doubt. And I, and I love that because it shows me that when God works in the life of you and me, like Abraham, Abraham wasn't perfect. Abraham had his sins. Abraham had his failures, his doubts, his attitudes. You know, and in this story, he's, he's arguing with God and doubting God. I, you know, that, that encourages me because sometimes I doubt God. Sometimes I wonder, okay, God, how can I really hope you're going to fix this? Chapter 16, it gets worse. He doesn't just doubt God. He pretty much gives up on God's plan. And he and Sarah cook up a plan where they have Sarah's maidservant, who is very fertile, and with Sarah's permission, okay, Sarah says, Abraham, for this one night, I'm cool with it. You take my maidservant. You go into her 
you bear a child through her, and that child will be our child. You know, because God's obviously not doing it his way. So, you know, they come up with plan B. And and in disobedience to God, they do plan B. Plan B ends up leading to the birth, successful birth of a boy, Ishmael, who now to this day is really known as the father of the Arab nations. And you wonder why there is such animosity and hostility between the Arab world and the Israeli world. Men and women, it goes back to this source. It goes right back to here. So, you know, and it's interesting because God shows grace and love toward Ishmael and and his mom, you know, because she's kind of the innocent victim in this story. And he loves he loves on them and cares for them when they're when they're at risk, you know, but the, but he says, Abraham, Ishmael is not the guy. I told you you'd have a son. Not yet. Abraham said, oh, I got tired of waiting. How many times do we get tired of waiting on God and decide to do it our own way? And then we really create hell on earth. So wait on God. Do it God's way. Wait on God. Choose to believe the promise. You'll have moments of doubt. In chapter 18, uh, an angelic presence, perhaps even the pre-incarnate Christ, comes uh, and, and says, okay, Abraham, it's time, man. Let's do this thing. You know, you're going to have a baby. A year from now, you're going to have your boy. And, and, and Sarah is listening from inside the tent, and she hears this conversation, and she begins to laugh in her heart at the idea. She did not agree with it. She doubted it. So she had doubts. She laughed at God. But you know something? God is bigger than our doubts. Isn't that great? I was thinking about that when Jesse and the band, Jesse and the posse were singing, you know, his love never fails and never gives up, never runs out on me. See, that's so cool. God's love never fails when you're laughing in his face, when you're doubting him. So faith, though, has to take a risk. And they take a risk and the rest is history. The final story, which I told you I'll just leave for you to study this week, is then faith begins to mature. When it matures, it moves from what I call the reasonable to the radical. And that's the story where later in life, Abraham, God comes to Abraham and tests him. After he now, he has Isaac, his promised heir. And he says, all right, now I want you to take Isaac, take him up on the mountain, build an altar to me. I want you to put Isaac on the altar and sacrifice him. Again, this is what I call moving from the reasonable to the radical. Because Hebrews 11 says, even though he knew that he was the promised heir, Abraham obeyed God, took his son up, put him on the altar, raised his knife to slay him, and God stopped him and provided another sacrifice in the bushes for him to go and sacrifice And it says in Hebrews 11, the reason Abraham was willing to do that was this. He had a mature faith that was marked by radical obedience and a radical confidence in God. It takes both. Radical obedience follows radical confidence in God. Because Hebrews 11 says this. Abraham was willing to sacrifice Isaac because he believed that God was able even to raise the dead. Because he knew Isaac is promised as my heir. God says, kill him. God must 
be able to raise him from the dead. But he still took the knife and was willing to do the deed. That's what I call radical faith. See, that kind of radical faith knows that God is worthy of any sacrifice, knows that God is faithful and can be trusted, and knows that God is able to do anything, so trust him. Those are the big ideas that are laid out. That's what I mean by a radical faith. Before Jesse and the band come to lead us in some worship, and then we're going to have a very short two-minute long business meeting, I want to ask you to, uh, to pray with me. The band will come up while we're praying. And I want you to remember this. When God is not a curic kind of God, when God is a percolator God, in faith will you wait. Pray with me. Father God, thank you. Thank you for the fact that you're not a fast brew, instant kind of a God. But Father, we acknowledge that sometimes when, uh, when we're going through stuff in life and we have to wait and process it, when we have to even give it over to you and say, God, if this never gets fixed, I will still trust you. God, if, if this is three or four generations away from Receiving the promise, I will trust you. I will walk with you because you are a God that is worthy of our trust. And God, after providing a son named Jesus who died on the cross, we now have an abundance of reason to say we will trust you when you are slow. Will you pray that? Say, God, I will trust you when you are a slow God. In fact, thanks for not speeding up. As we give our gifts to you, may our tithes and offerings not be tipping God, but be giving generously out of our appreciation, our heart for you. We give now with generosity in Jesus' name. Amen.